standard issue for all women. Hey, hello, and hi there. Welcome to episode 25 of the Standard Issue Podzine. I'm Mickey Noonan, and the word rim will never not make me laugh. I'm Hannah Dunleavy, and Zach Goldsmith once ran into me in the street. Like, literally. What, what, what was he running for? He was running out of a taxi and into the Houses of Parliament, and I was between him and the Houses of Parliament. What is it with you and right-wing politicians and taxis? Yeah. I've met him. Smacked right into me. Didn't say anything at all. In a previous engagement as a civil servant. He's unnervingly handsome, but a prick. I don't know. I couldn't see out of my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, on that bombshell, I'm Jen Offord, and I don't see the point of dry January. Later on, consumer queen Vix Layton is back, and this time she's sharing tips to get us through the end of brassic January with pointers on finding money you didn't even know you had. Aoife Moore tells us how we can help repeal the eight. And Suze Kundu talks to us about women in science. Sarah's answering another vital live question in SMQT. And I do Disney's Toy Story. <laughs> but first, teabag, Trump and various other tosspots, it's time for the Bush Telegraph. Cue Sting. Bush Telegraph. Welcome to the Bush Telegraph, a consideration of the news that puts women first. Or as the Daily Mail might call it, a massacre of (laughs) middle-aged men. Well, I reckon massacre and middle-aged are all capped up for no apparent reason. A massacre of middle-aged men! (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about the NHS, which, if the Tories keep doing what they're doing, is going to stand for no hospitals, sorry. Ah, the S-word. Theresa May did, of course, apologise for the state of the NHS. Imagine the NHS is a priceless Ming vase, although it is, of course, much more precious than that. If Teabag had explained that she and her cronies had been moving the vase from one glass cabinet to a much better cabinet for its 70th birthday and tripped over the pile of money about to be invested in it, the word might have held some sincerity. But what they've done is smashed it by hurling it out of the front window. Yep, that's fucked too, and I think it hit the cap. How bad is the situation? It's beyond dismal. NHS bosses are asking hospitals to take unprecedented measures, such as cancelling tens of thousands of operations and outpatient appointments until the end of January, at least. The Guardian has reported that medical students are being asked to step in to help relieve the winter crisis and patients are dying in corridors. In the cabinet reshuffle, Jeremy Hunt, and I'm not going to go there, it's just too, nah, fuck it, I am. Jeremy Cunt had the word social care added to his title, then presumably had to have them explained. (laughs) He is at least aware that it all comes down to bunts and is asking for a £4 billion a year cash injection. Will that happen? It's not a bet I'd place at William Hill. The Tories have consistently broken down the NHS so it can't function anymore. Get it on its knees and privatisation becomes a much easier sell all round. So yeah, I'm sceptical. Soz Tories! Speaking of cunts, um, it's been a big week for Toby Young. (laughs) It's been a big few weeks for Toby Young. Yeah. The Spectator columnist was forced to step down from his new made-up job at the Office for Students after concerns were raised about a back catalogue of offensive tweets and, you know, his general lack of suitability for the role. Add to that a piece published by Private Eye last week that claimed Young had shared a platform with white supremacists at an event hosted by University College London. Awkward. If that wasn't already a bad enough vibe, MPs got a bit uncomfortable about a piece Young had written a few years back in which he suggested screening the embryos of poor people with low IQs in order to select the most intelligent to implant, thus ensuring their children were smarter. Progressive eugenics, he reckoned. However, 
Young hit back at his critics, claiming he had attended the conference in the name of research and the article referred to a common bioethical issue and was backed up by other experts. And indeed, Hitler, who was himself a bit of a mover and shaker in the old eugenics world, would probably have agreed with him. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hollywood icons continue to tumble in our estimations months after the Me Too campaign started in earnest with recent Golden Globe winner James Franco facing accusations of sexual misconduct and Liam Neeson attempting to couch accusations against Dustin Hoffman in terms of childish or superstitious behaviour. I can only plead for the next woman to work with Neeson to kick him in the balls before the start of every take and then say, just for luck. For her or for him? (laughs) (laughs) Mark Wahlberg was also vying for a Twat of the Week badge when news emerged that he had been paid a million pounds to reshoot Ridley Scott's All the Money in the World, countless times more than his co-star Michelle Williams. Williams initially offered to do the reshoot, caused by the recasting of a role originally played by Kevin Spacey, for free, but eventually took the equity minimum of £757. When the reshoots completed late last year, Williams said... I said I'd be wherever they needed me, whenever they needed me, and they could have my salary, they could have my holiday, whatever they wanted, because I appreciated so much that they were making this massive effort. On Saturday, Warburg announced that he was donating his full fee to Time's Up Legal Defence Fund in Michelle Williams' name, the final part of which seems somewhat unnecessary, since it's pretty clear Williams stands with women already. Can I just ask something? Is it his fault that he got paid by them? Well, they obviously offered if she said, I don't want the money. They obviously had discussions about it, and I assume they had discussions. She wasn't getting paid. They share the same agent. Ah. Well, I'm going to say your agents are come then. (laughs) Or twat of the week, rather than... I think that if Michelle Williams knew that she was offered money and turned it down, then Wahlberg had the same option to do that. Yeah, but if he didn't know, it was like... Apparently she's not the only person that opted not Mm. to take money or to take the lowest money possible. Obviously, Christopher Plummer got paid because it was an entire new job for him because he wasn't involved. Uh, uh, Apparently a lot of people didn't take money. Now, I can't believe that standing around on a film set on reshoots, which is exceptionally unusual in this circumstance, Mm. that conversation didn't come up. Who knows? I think we've printed enough twat of the week budgets to go around. There's quite the quite the call for them at the moment. Yeah. Apparently his agent did also make a... Um... Aziz Ansari is the latest celebrity to be playing He Said, She Said over a sexual interaction. In a candid account on the website Babe, Grace, which is not the young woman's real name, reveals that she consented to some sexual contact with the actor but was uncomfortable with a lot of what was happening as it was happening and that she repeatedly asked him to chill out and stopped responding. She left his apartment in tears. Ansari's subsequent statement says... The next day, I got a text from her saying that although, quote, it may have seemed okay, end quote, upon further reflection, she felt uncomfortable. Upon further reflection. Those are words that he's putting into her mouth. She at no point said them, and those three words are important because they are sneaky as fuck. They imply she changed her mind after the event, which by her account is not the case. They imply regret rather than non-consent. Whether I'm sorry was mistaken rather than malicious is going to be hard to pin down, but this subtle step to mitigate blame is part and parcel of the insidious culture of male entitlement that treats women as objects to be leered at, won, used, abused and disbelieved. Quite. 
Just when he thought it was safe to get back in the water, he's back. Like a 1990s Hollyoaks villain, self-appointed voice of the people, Nigel Farage, just will not go quietly. And there's, there's quite a few of those at the moment, aren't there, Tony Blair? Anyway, um, weighing in on the old Brexit debate again this week, Nigel actually said something I find myself in part agreeing with, which is a new and altogether disquieting sensation. Speaking on quality broadcaster Channel 5's quality current affairs show, The Right Stuff, Nigel said he reckoned it was time to hold a second referendum on the UK's membership of the European Union, though admittedly so that we could collectively vote to leave again and continue to be in the same ongoing political, social and economic shitstorm. Sadly for Nigel, UKIP leader Henry Bolton, who I'd never heard of until this week either, uh, said if he actually believes that, I would say he's wrong. When has Nigel ever been right? Why are we still listening to him? Why is he still talking? He's like the human equivalent of a wall, and I am this close to rubbing him with a cut potato on a full moon <laughs> and planting the potato in the garden to see if he fucks off. I was really livid with the BBC this week. Really livid, because they ran a piece about Nigel Farage uh, being docked some money. Uh, you, might, you might have seen this about expenses from the EU. Mm-hmm. Um, and the headline was that Nigel Farage was going to lose this money from the EU because of claims that he had misused his expenses. Now, there's been an investigation by the EU and he's been found guilty. Have they got claims confused with proof? Yeah, that's not a fucking claim, BBC. Are we now at the point where, because we voted Brexit, that we disbelieve everything that the EU say and we believe everything that Nigel Farage says? I've got to say, I wanted to write a, a great gag about Nigel Farage, but I struggled because I had read... A brilliant piece which I would urge everyone to read by Marina Hyde in The Guardian, which makes all of the gags there are, basically. Have have a read of that. It's very good. She is excellent. She is excellent. It's a lot better reading than the uh, text messages of the UKIP leader's girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> and speaking of busy weeks, Donald Trump was up to his neck in all sorts of all sorts last week when he used a big fat lie to cancel a trip to London he upped his racist credential by calling huge swathes of the world a shithole and saw claims he paid off a porn star to ensure the news they'd had sex stayed out of the uh, news. Meanwhile, NBC reported that the president <sighs> referred to an intelligence analyst presenting information to him in the Oval Office as a pretty Korean lady and suggested that she should be part of the negotiations with North Korea. His adjectives are coming along lovely, aren't yeah. they? He later appointed Dick Van Dyke ambassador to the UK and asked the president of Mexico to mow his lawn. I think we can all agree that he's not racist. He is, in fact, the least racist person you could ever interview. Absolutely. That's his defence for everything. I am either the most what I've been described as or the least what I've been described as. Nobody respects women. More than I do. No one more than him. No one. Absolutely no one. I was loving the stuff about um, about the embassy because it's been relocated not by Barack Obama the deal was done with uh, George W I believe it's October 2008 the deal was done which is several months before Barack Obama actually was inaugurated right yes yeah so so that's wrong but um but uh about it moving to a, a dodgy part like a bad part of town Vauxhall where I used to work and uh <laughs> I wish this had happened 10 years ago because fucking hell, if he, thought, if he thinks Vauxhall's bad now, 
Oof. I used to go to a pub with a man with no teeth who ran the karaoke night and had a Chelsea smile. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually also had to go undergo a medical test, but I can't really talk sure. about it. Yeah. Can't really talk about it because the I thought you meant the guy with no teeth and the Chelsea smile. He may be healthier. <laughs> the results are not yet out. I can't really talk about it because by the time you listen to this on Wednesday, they will know what the results are, but I don't know what they are because they're currently not out till Tuesday, and Tuesday is currently in our world tomorrow. Mm. But what I can say, it's not that weird-looking doc- Dr. Nick Riviera or whoever he is <laughs> that assigned his original thing that... Pre- that proclaims him to be the healthiest person ever. It's apparently a different doctor, although that doctor's name was misspelled on the statement that put out that said he was in excellent health. So Was what... it misspelled because you only get so many vowels in those sponge letters that you went and stick yeah. to the bathroom wall? Possibly. Right. Yeah. Is it the doctor that was working with Lance Armstrong? I don't know. I genuinely don't know. It, it, but it's definitely not that guy who looks like the sort of person that says they haven't been bitten in a zombie attack, but really has. <laughs> not him. He claims he's just brushed his teeth when he's foaming at the mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Tip of the hat to Irish women poets who've had it with anthologies, conferences and festivals where gender balance is skewed. In men's favour, in case you're from Planet What Now and we're wondering... The final straw came with the publication of the Cambridge Companion to Irish Poets in 2017, which contains 30 essays, 26 of which are on male poets. Poets including Christine Murray and Mary O'Donnell have come up with the pledge they've called Fired, Irish Women Poets in the Canon, and they're calling on high-profile writers, men and women, to support a change to help stop, quote, the literary patriarchal door slamming in our faces. Up the women! More news next week. Well, you have equal pay, but, you know, they're not equal, are they? Sexism of the week. It's that time of the week where we try to comment on sexism in the media, but please bear with us, there's only so much we can do before getting distracted by our lovely tits. Because women. Or at least that's what one Ken Tomlinson would have us believe in his letter to the Sheffield Star. Ken was enraged by the presence of as many as six. That's right, six? I can hardly count that eye because... What was I saying? Sorry, I'd noticed how lovely my tits are again. Oh yeah, as many as six women reporting from football grounds around the country as part of the BBC's final score are ruining Ken's manly man time in his manly armchair with a manly beer watching his manly sport on a manly afternoon, their slightly higher pitched voices making his man dick shrivel up inside of him and doubt his entire existence, or something. Anyway, Ken's thrown his man toys out of his man pram and switched allegiance to Radio Sheffield, which is owned by the BBC. Nice protest, Ken, you fuckwit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Got nothing to add there, really, mm. except that perhaps, you know, if there being a f- female commentator puts him off doing something, perhaps somebody could do his wife a favour and go around <laughs> and commentate on sex. <laughs> oh. Or she could just start commentating. It just reminded me of... Um, a time I wrote an article about football for Eurosport and someone commented on it. I'm all for equality, but I really think women just need to stay out of football. <laughs> so you've, you've missed the point here, haven't you? In fairness, they do have a point because women don't have feet. So That's why true. should we be involved in football? <laughs> stay well out of it. Yeah. Hello, we are joined by Consumer Queen, the one, the only, Vic Slayton. Hello. Hey. Uh, hey. Hey, mate. Basically, it's January. I've got no money. Have you got any money, Hannah? Never. Jen, any nope. money? 
Vix, any money? I've got no money, but I've got some good advice for people who are willing to take it, and that's not me, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good start. Hannah found a pound in her slipper the other day, and I was very excited. How yes, did it go in there? Well, I think because I took my trousers off, and the money that was in my pocket fell out of my trousers, okay. and it one went in my slipper. But I actually, to prove a point yesterday, that I said to Mickey, that anybody, I mean, unless, of course, obviously, if you've been living in long-term poverty... But if you if you are a working person who gets a salary every month and you say you have no money, that is incorrect. I and yesterday to prove that point, I unearthed something close to seventy eight pounds in my house. Nice. Yeah. Well, my work here's done, so I'm just yeah. going to go. <laughs> <laughs> but we can't all have shillings in our slippers. No, we can't. So, Vix, where do we find money when we don't think there's any money to be found? Well, it starts with looking around your house for things that you're probably sitting on that is cash waiting to be converted. So for me, a big pile of ASOS bags, for example, that I've been meaning to send back that I haven't got round to, send them back. Even if you get them for the sale price, that is money back and it's money that you need, even if you then reinvest it in something else like the dress I've got at the moment. Oh. So, so, yep, loyalty points. If you've been collecting loyalty points, brilliant. So like £14 out of my Yeah, there we go. Well, um, Hannah's actually playing money bingo. Yep. No, that's co-op card is really, really good. Yeah, co-op card, fourteen pounds. I've got over fifty quid on my Boots Advantage card. Have you? I'm saving it up for some perfume, though. <laughs> well, that's the thing, but don't don't always save it for best. Like January is when this can really pay for you. So I bought shampoo with mine, and I was like, yes, that's four pound I've unlocked for the pub. <laughs> it's all <laughs> about priorities. It, yeah. it is. Um, just make the cuts where you can. If you've got loads of mobile phones knocking about in your drawer, for example, they're worth money, and you can get sent a free post bag. It's gone. You can have money within forty eight hours. It's bloody brilliant. It's a real cash convert. Same with like tablets old tablets should be surprised what you can get for them like 20 30 quid on old ipads that kind of thing that's pretty pretty nifty i last year realized i was not doing any saving at all which is no good obviously and i'm a supposed to be a personal finance expert so it's a bit embarrassing really but um, <laughs> i signed up for this thing um called plum and i think there are loads of apps like it but basically you plug in all your bank accounts it works out what you're spending on and gives it sends me a facebook message every day basically giving me a bit of a report and you know there's nothing like the sad emoji at 10 o'clock every morning to make me go actually, maybe i'll do better tomorrow but what it also does <laughs> is the the longer it's spent with me it um every couple of weeks it takes what it knows that i can afford based on whatever funky algorithms going on in the back end and saves it so depending on how you're spending that month it might be seven quid it might be 30 quid that has helped me out of a hole like three months in a row where i've like i've got the plum money and like i wouldn't have actively saved that myself and i always i have all these ideas like oh every time i buy something and it's cheaper i'm just going to put the difference back on a credit card balance but I don't do that. This, it does it for me. It's a nominal amount. It's There are loads of others like it, but the one that I use is Plum, and it's, it's probably changed my habits more than anything that I've done. So there is a top tip for you. That is a great Excellent. tip. That is a great tip. I read this thing. Um, someone who I occasionally freelance with put me onto this thing. I think it's called Money Diaries or something like that on, I think, Refinery29. Is that a thing? I don't know. Re- yes. The refine. I don't know what it's called, that thing. For millennials, um, I'm not a millennial, Jen. I am just. Blankly. I am with millennials. We're at the top end of it. I found you that on be. Word of the Year. I think I'm Generation X. I'm Gen X. That's so much sexier. Like, I'm a, yeah. it's clearly I just not don't translating, mate. No, true. No, it's that. I just said yes. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. But anyway, <laughs> I would, I would urge people to read them 
because they're fucking hilarious and really funny. <laughs> it's just like all these kids who have an income of like 4p a week who spend like 20 pounds a day on prep and stuff like that it's hilarious but also it makes you think well i hate personal finance people that tell you oh, i'll make your own coffee at home because you know everyone's entitled to have a little treat and it's what you think is important to you have it yeah. so yeah maybe have one coffee instead of two or maybe prioritize it but yeah. i just think january is the worst time to make cuts it's like everyone's miserable the lights have come down this is not the time to make fundamental life choices don't diet now don't make yourself miserable as jen pointed out in the intro not a fan of dry january no no i like dry january prosecco gin all dry and i think january is basically it's your trial month for the year it's your first month free like yeah. chill out see if you like it make some major changes in february like, like, just just you know, we we're on a big day trial like let's yeah if you don't like it I don't like take it, it back start again. how the fuck did we get all the way through 2017 <laughs> That where some of my other seventy-eight pounds was. Yes, yes, please. Okay, so I had thirty pounds in euros, which nice. I could have taken to the um, uh, post office and changed. I also had twenty-five dollars, which is about I don't know eighteen quid. Money. Yeah, it would buy me cat food if were I desperate. Stop eating it cat would, food. It, yeah, it would, <laughs> it would pay for food. I had uh, a five-pound scratch card win that I had not claimed. Awesome. Cash back. My bag. <laughs> Cash I back. I had money literally everywhere. Coat pockets, down the side of the sofa, in my slipper, in the side thing of my car, down yeah, uh, in, my, in my top dress, desk drawer. And also, and I have once found a whole £3 there, but I actually only found 20p. In that thing that goes around the washing machine, that rubber thing, there is always money. The there. rim. The rim always. of the washing machine. If you can't get a pint of milk, out of the room of your washing machine. So uh, much not, wrong with this. Right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, anyway, oh, it totaled up to £78, which I was quite impressed that with. Is, that is pretty good. I have a yeah. little thing that I do similarly to what Vix was saying she tried to do and doesn't, is every now and again, when I've split a note, I'll go in my purse and whatever change it is, I stick it in a money box in my kitchen and then try and forget about it. I always put um, anything in my purse lower than a 50p piece. In a jar. In, in ironically, a Fortnum and Mason's business. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah, this is the life I'm going to lead with all my yeah. denominations of underfed. And after just three years of saving, Jen can replace <laughs> those biscuits. Yeah. My mum bought me those biscuits. I've never bought them myself, just FYI. <laughs> like a tin, anyway. Oh, I also have yeah. money in a PayPal account. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Paid for stuff that you didn't realise you'd sold. Yeah. Well, no, I'd sold ages ago and just forgotten about because I obviously thought I'll keep that there just in case. But I will say, Hannah, in the nicest possible way. That I am shit with money. No, that you are. I'm going to throw it out there and say less organised than me, for example. Yeah. I know where all my money is because I do don't you, leave do you, it. Do you? When all the money falls out of your pocket, out of your trousers... I don't put it in my trouser pocket. Oh, okay. I put it in my wallet like a normal human. Oh, see, we're more like my mum, who for the third time has dropped a phone down the toilet because she keeps it in her back pocket. Yeah. You could also have a car boot sale. Oh my god! Which I lost. I lost so much money on a car boot sale with my money. dad. Yeah, uh, we took all my stuff. Not only did everybody mock my A1 collection from a different oh, era, me. I know I had some limited edition shit in they there. Don't I don't. Was A1 about. a band? Yeah. yeah. Was it a, a man band? A boy band. It, 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 it was not a man band. They all had curtains. But it was such a 
range like my like the biggest hit of the whole thing was my Buffy videos that I have no idea why someone bought those VHS but, but there we go my dad yeah my dad was being my Papa Layton wheeler dealer extraordinaire was like desperately trying to upsell everything and I vividly remember he was selling some of his wife's clothes and he was like they're so cheap you don't even have to wear them you can rip them up and use them as dusters and like I will <laughs> never forget him saying that they didn't go for it but you know but I spent all of our takings on the burger van and my dad made me made me give him a steak of our takings so basically you made no money I made bugger all and I was angry for three hours I was expecting to be very sympathetic because I actually lost a lot of money at a car boot sale but that's because somebody drove into my car when I was driving home that's a significant loss 800 pounds worth of damage to my car and it turned out they weren't insured fuckers fuckers. that was a terrible car boot sale but they are weird things car boot sales I don't know if you've ever done one but Literally, never done as you start to unpack your car, these, these creatures swarm. like gone yeah. <laughs> and they're negotiating my hard. My precious, my precious. And they're looking yeah. for the Stradivarius violin that you priced at 10 pay because they, they start unloading your car. It's actually quite terrifying. No, it's Chesney Hawk's first album on cassette, mate. Yeah. Exactly A1's entire back catalogue. One of them was signed. Yeah. <laughs> like, they could come back. Right. And then I people always try and negotiate with you, don't they? They're like, you're like, how much? Yeah. You're like, 50p. And they're like, I'll give you 10. <laughs> okay. 20, 20p, last offer. <laughs> Found it in the rim of my washing machine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Literally could have got this money without leaving the house. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I love? Have you ever watched Cash in the Attic? No. There's that really, really handsome posh man who used to present it. And they've like... Is that where you watched it, Jen? <laughs> What I really like. I need to say this, but Jen, that really handsome posh man could literally be anyone. On stage. <laughs> yeah. really that's that's all. <laughs> yes, all I think he used to be in A one. <laughs> so the point is, cash in the attic. It's fucking great. eBay is yeah. also an option. The Vix, yes. Yep. Again, I find personally find it arduous to do, and I've been stung a couple of times. So you need to be really careful as a seller with that. Find a mate who really loves selling stuff on eBay. Give her your stuff to sell, and then give her a ten percent cut, which is I what done I that did. Before. And I'd forgotten I'd done <laughs> it, and money kept appearing in my PayPal account. There's the right time to list things. There's the right price to put it at. A lot of people will put a reserve on it, which scares buyers away. So, do a little bit of research before, and I think you can make some money on it. I've done some some good wheeler deals in the past when I was going through a bit of a throwout. I mean, the stuff we're talking about now, the money I found. Well, feed me, feed the cats, get me to them from work, maybe, you know, for the next few days. What if I have a massive bill that comes in and I can't pay it? How 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 do you go about that? Call. That's the first thing that you do. If there's a bill that's come in that you can't pay, call. And not enough people do this. They're there to help you. They don't want to be writing you loads and loads of letters. They don't want you to be in default. I mean, every time I've done that, when I've been in a jam, I've been able to arrange a payment program that works for me. And they're like, what can you pay? Do you want to spread it over six months? Do you want to spread it over 12 they want to help you or they might be able to give you a payment holiday but I've never rung up and not got a better outcome than if I'd ignored something so call them up they're there to help you I know you people think you know people think they're going to get shouted at yeah, I think. yeah. and they're not there to shout and they speak to a million people like you I've prepared my excuses well in advance they don't care all they care is that you're taking it into hand and you're owning it so that is probably the best bit of advice I can give people because I've also panicked paid a big whacking bill and then struggled to the end of the month when I didn't have to do it so don't be scared of them like they want people who show women like open the envelopes look at what's in there and I know it's tough to do but there are there are things in place for you if you say you can't pay just just call and moving forward obviously January 
people have the resolutions to sort of get their house in order. Are there ways that you can look at saving money throughout the year? Is it a good time to do it? Yeah, I think January, it's not about having a terrible time. It's about making sure that next January is a better time, if that's what you want. So, so yeah, look at all your bills. And it's things like mobile phones. If you are outside of your contract with a mobile phone and you had your handset for free or at a nominal price, you're paying collateral on the phone that you don't have to pay anymore because your contract term is how much it takes to pay that bill off. So if you're not ready to upgrade, give them a ring and get them to reduce your contract, put it on a rolling contract until you're ready to go again. If you can afford to pay a little bit up front with your next contract, do that, because I'm quite lazy. I, I work in telecoms, and I've let things run three or four months, and it's, yeah, that's 100 quid, just gone for no reason. So things like energy as well, review your energy, review your insurance, always shop around. Switch, switch yeah. energy suppliers, always look... That's why they get to fuck us all over, because no one ever switches. It's really easy as well. I think people believe that they're going to come and, like, dig up your pipes and, like, put new pipes in. But it's literally somebody... It's just it's just a computer click. And it's the same with your bank account. If you're not happy with your bank account, you can now do seven-day switching. So they move all of your direct debits for you within seven days. So it's not hard work. If you're not... You know, if you're paying for a packaged account, for example, that you don't need, where initially there was insurance, it was all singing and dancing, you don't need that stuff anymore... Don't pay it. Don't pay £10 for the privilege of them having your money. Moving on. Cashback is amazing. Like, I absolutely love that. I've earned thousands of pounds off it. It's something I could never say when I worked in cashback, but it's probably stuff you're going to buy anyway. So it's just free money. You just visit one of the sites like Quico, Top Cashback, click through the website where you want, and you get a percentage of your money back as cash. So it, it's a winner. I paid for shed loads of my wedding on that. So. What do you think puts people off doing that kind of cashback stuff? Well, it sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? It's like I've free money. I've always been told if it sounds too good to be true, it's too good to be true, Vix. Exactly. And this is the trouble. This is why people don't believe in things like voucher codes. And basically, it's thousands and thousands of pounds for you to see, like, between the X Factor episodes and advert. That costs them thousands, millions of pounds. Whereas for cash-savvy people that want to use cashback instead... They're just taking the marketing spend per person and they're just giving it back to you. So for the people that want to come through the site, and you know, if you're looking at bookings.com, Expedia, hotels.com, and one of them's got 10% cash back and one of them hasn't, you'll go with that one. If you don't care, it's much for muchness. They get a customer. You're in their system forever. You're worth more as a customer that comes back than you are as like a hit and run, just one, one transaction and go. So when you think of it like that, they're getting a sale. If, if you see a box for a voucher code when you're transacting about to check out, go and have a look for one because <laughs> it's probably already there. So I think for things like that, like never pay full price in Pizza Express. Who are those people? Like they've been buy and get a main course for a pound for about 20 years now. <laughs> but you don't have to be geeky. You don't have to be looking in forums. You just have to have a quick Google. You know, we can all come out of the closet now. It's not embarrassing to use a voucher in a restaurant anymore, I think. We went through the credit print, you're all okay with it. Like It's fine. It's okay now to say, I, I want this to be cheaper. Like, why pay full price for the sake of it? So spend a bit of time doing some research, maybe sell some stuff on eBay or get someone to sell it for you. Check the rim of your washing machine yeah. and find some magic slippers. Yeah. yeah. That's how we make money in January. Hi, my name's Aoife Murr and I'm here to talk to you about the current fight for abortion rights in the Republic of Ireland and how you can help. The campaign is currently known as the Repeal the Eighth Movement. 
refer to the Eighth Amendment of the Irish Constitution, which was voted into law in 1983. The amendment recognised the equal right to life for the mother and the unborn child, which basically means it's impossible to allow terminations in the womb except in exceptional circumstances. This means that Ireland has one of the most restrictive abortion laws in the European Union. The archaic laws have been panned by everybody, from legal professionals, doctors, Amnesty International to the UN for the flagrant breach of women's human rights. So why, I hear you ask, is Ireland so far behind everyone else? Um, the answer is the church. Ireland has long been under the stranglehold of the Catholic Church. From schools to healthcare, the bishops have been calling the shots for years. For some context, Ireland only legalised divorce in 1995. That's right, my friends, in the year Robson and Jerome topped the charts with Unchained Melody, Irish people could still legally not get a divorce. I hope you're not too depressed yet, because I haven't even started. Women in Ireland who are raped are banned from having abortions. The latest statistics from Rape Crisis Ireland said that 197 women who attended their centres in 2013 were pregnant as a result of rape. Only 25% of these survivors went on to terminate the pregnancy, meaning they either travelled to the UK for an abortion or illegally bought abortion pills in Ireland. Meanwhile, if an Irish woman is carrying a fetus that will not survive outside of the womb, she is also banned from having an abortion. Ireland's leader, the Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, admitted that Ireland's abortion law forces women to carry pregnancies to term that have no chance of survival. So what do Irish women do when they need an abortion? They travel in their droves. So much so that when I was at school, the term she's going to England was code for she's having an abortion. On average, 10 women travel from Ireland to Britain every day for a termination. According to statistics compiled by the UK's Department of Health, between 1980 and 2015, at least 165,000 Irish women accessed UK abortion services. In 2016 alone, the figure was 3,451. It was recently revealed in a Repeal the Eighth Committee hearing that at least one woman has died on the journey home from England due to complications. Due to the stigma around abortion in Ireland, there are no numbers available to account for the women who travel to other European countries or illegally buy abortion pills. However, we do know that in 2014, over a thousand abortion pills were seized at Irish Customs. Any woman or girl who procures an abortion, or anyone who assists a woman to procure an abortion in Ireland, can be imprisoned for up to 14 years. So that's where we're at. What's to be done and how can you help? After much campaigning by some of the most dogged, brilliant and determined women in Ireland, another referendum is afoot. The vote is to be held in May or June 2018. No definite date has been set yet because why be concrete when you could just gamble with women's lives? For those living in Britain, short of moving to the Emerald Isle to ensure you get a vote, there are plenty of ways that you can help. You can donate money to the Irish Abortion Rights Campaign online at abortionrightscampaign.ie. You can also buy incredibly cool bags, jumpers, totes and mugs from the website thehunrealissues.com with all proceeds going directly to the campaign. Follow the Repeal the Eighth hashtag on Twitter and Facebook and spread the word. There are Repeal the Eighth groups in major UK cities like London, Bristol, Glasgow and Manchester. Organise marches, inform your friends and show up for your sisters. The deadline is looming and it's our last chance for the foreseeable future to make abortion in Ireland free, safe and legal. Hi, we're in the studio with Dr. Suze Kundu. 
who is here to talk to us about women in science. All right, Suze. Hello. Thanks for asking me along. Thanks for coming in. (laughs) Probably the best place to start is if you tell us what it is that you actually do and then possibly explain what that means because we don't really do science. Uh, yeah, just apologies in advance for the just the blank looks. Oh, <laughs> never apologise. No, 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 because you're curious enough to have asked me on and I think that is part of the battle that we're always trying to fight in science. So I, not that you can tell through the medium of podcasting, I'm a nanochemist, literally and professionally. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually quite tiny, so I'm on brand with the science I do. <laughs> so nanoscience is effectively looking at materials that in one dimension, one of the three dimensions, is going to fall within the nano scale. So a nanometer is a billionth of a meter, so we're talking really tiny science. And the reason that we do that is because things misbehave when they're very small, or at least that's what I tell people. <laughs> that's my excuse. So they follow a whole set of rules when things get really small. So rather than big forces that we can react to, really, really small forces have a big impact on that scale. And so things start to behave weirdly. And through nanochemistry, we're able to harness some of that weirdness of those materials. So my particular use for that kind of effect that I observe in the materials that I look at is to capture sunlight energy and use it to split water to make hydrogen, which we can then use as a fuel. So it's nice and clean and cheap and sustainable. You burn it, you get water again. So you start with water and you end with water. It's a nice vehicle for solar energy. You're basically a magician or Jesus. I'm a wizard. (laughs) I wish I could describe what your face just did. (laughs) (laughs) I'm double taking, like a a double take. How many women do you work with? How male dominated is that field? My branch is a perfect example because I cross the boundary between science and engineering. And that then means that science has pretty few women. Engineering has even fewer. Mm. So I am, I think, one of five academic members of staff that are women in my department of what's probably close to 40. We're, we're I mean, I'm not great at maths, but that isn't a 50% ratio no, there, is it? No. no, it's very much not. In fact, the IET, which I can't remember what that stands for now, Institute of engineering and technology Technology. let's say that the iet did a survey a couple of years ago where they discovered that only nine percent of professional working engineers were women and you think nine percent is ridiculous so they had a whole campaign called nine percent is not enough and everybody is pledging to make sure that they are going to make positive actions to try and make sure that there is more of a gender balance because there's a huge diversity issue generally in STEM, science, technology, engineering and maths. And gender is one of those things, but there's lots of other things as well. There can be race imbalances, there can be socioeconomic imbalances, things like that that go unnoticed and unmentioned. But really, the problem is that if we're not including people from a diverse range of backgrounds, we're missing out on a bunch of amazing ideas that they could be having. And gender being one of the bigger ones... And so if we're doing things that are making women feel that they can't be included in this profession, we're missing out on a huge amount of ideas. What do you think the causes are? There are a few issues. Firstly, we're not necessarily attracting enough women into science and technology and engineering and maths in the first place. So we start off with a much smaller pool. And then there's what's known as a leaky pipeline analogy, where as you go up the ranks in this profession, you start to lose women. So you can have on the whole in a in a department or an institution a reasonably healthy balance of men and women. 
But then you look at the higher levels of any of these institutions and they're still run by men. So it could be the sheer fact that, you know, sometimes women do want to go and have children. Heaven forbid, you know, they've got to do the admin part of that business usually. Well, generally speaking. It's a lot of paperwork. It's just so much, so much paperwork. So I think there is the literal having to take a career break just to have a child. Then there's also the social pressure of their peers going, oh, three-week maternity break, don't you care? What's the point of having kids? So there's that part of it as well. And then there's the sheer fact that I think women just cannot be bothered to take crap for too long. There are these cultures that exist in a lot of these professions that can be male-dominated. Whoever invented the word banter really ought to just go and hide somewhere because they should be really embarrassed. Banter is used as an excuse for so much misbehaviour and inappropriate behaviour in a lot of different professions and in things like engineering. As a woman, sometimes you just think, I can't really be bothered to fight this anymore. And so, so many women that I know that have been in academia, in science and technology and engineering and maths, have actually left to do things where they can share their love for the subject through science communication and things like that. And with women supposedly being better communicators than men, it's a great profession to go into, but it's a real shame that they can't still feel included at the forefront of science and engineering. That's all anyone's talking about at the moment, the culture around sort of sexual harassment. You see that in academia? Yes, I think you see it in most professions. You certainly see it in academia. In fact, there was a lovely chap, Tom Chivers, who works for BuzzFeed, who wanted to find out about whether there are these known figures in STEM, people that you want to avoid, that you don't want to be left alone with, that have maybe made you feel uncomfortable before. And I said, well, yes, of course. I mean, just off the top of my head, I can name two handfuls at least of of people that fall into that category people that I've worked with personally people that work within science communication industry but the thing is nobody ever wants to speak out about who they are I didn't feel comfortable speaking out about who they are because I think it can really affect your job but it's heartbreaking that even in this day and age with things like the Me Too campaign that really empowered women in a brutal way it really highlighted the fact that it happens to everyone, I think whatever profession, mm. as a woman. But I, I'm not sure whether it was powerful enough to give people the confidence within their own circles to say, actually, yeah, I'm going to call you on that. If you're working at a university mm. and you say this is happening within my university, you have to think I've got to go in to that job yeah. every day now or yeah. find another job. And it's not easy in academia also, to just move around, is it? No, the problem is, I think if you work in a specific area of research then everybody knows everyone yeah. in yeah. that particular area. tiny so, pockets of... Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know a lot about a very mm. small thing. But if even if you move institutions, those are going to be people that you may have worked with at some point. They're going to be people that know you by reputation, you know them by reputation. It's very difficult to move away from that. And I think you're making yourself quite vulnerable. vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, you really are. And I think there is still... As much as you don't want there to be and as much as you want to believe that you're not a victim and you've not brought it on yourself, but even the act of speaking up then can make you seem almost like a troublemaker. And nobody wants to be the one rocking the boat. Nobody mm-hmm. wants to be the one calling people out. You're asking people to believe you as well. And and as we've seen, that is not 
necessarily been forthcoming from all quarters. But also, when you're talking about professional situation as well, there's potentially like legal ramifications there as well, aren't there? So, yeah, if you're asking people to, if you're naming specific names, I think as well in um, an industry or a profession where there are limited women and it's hard to get women into mm. there, you don't want to put women off, mm. and you don't want to put the men who will be doing most of the hiring off hiring yeah, women definitely. so it ends up being easier to stay silent even if that isn't the the best thing to do for yourself and for for women as a, as a rule in general i don't i think women are historically like not really pushed towards maths and science and things like that from quite a young age so like when you're teenagers at school so it's interesting that you said that but i think it it happens um at a much younger age so mm. studies have shown that even sort of at toddler age kids have already managed to gender subjects and professions and it seems unbelievable but it's just you forget how much of an influence at toddler age society has on them i remember a friend of mine he and his wife they're both academics Mm. they're both doctors in their field so they've both got phds they have two little girls and they bought them these profession cards where you match the picture to the profession to the word and the doctor happened to be a woman and the nurse happened to be a man. And the I think it was their younger of the two girls could not bring herself to match the word doctor with the female doctor. She kept putting it next to the male nurse going, no, but it's a boy, it's a boy. That's the doctor and the woman's the nurse. And you think, you're like three. So where that has come from, having been brought up in such a positive environment where subjects are not being gendered and professions are not being gendered. Where is that coming from? Question. I'm not answering that. Hello, this is Sarah Millican and you are listening to Sarah Millican's Question Time. Now I'm recording this from inside of my car and I'm in a supermarket car park. So the noises that you will hear going past will be the odd car, uh, maybe the odd trolley, the old person sneezing. Seems to be a lot of colds around right now. Uh, the question I'm going to answer this week for this week's question time is from Twitter. And it's from somebody called, I think they're called Hottie, H-O-1-1-Y. Maybe they think that's called Hottie. I don't really know. Ho- oh, Holly, I've just realised. Oh, I'm not very bright today. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> I'm going to call you Hottie Holly. And uh, Hottie Holly's question is, how does one inform a senior colleague, not a close one, that they have a bogey on their nose before meeting a client? I think that very much depends on whether you like this person. Is this person an arsehole? If this person is an arsehole or just has treated you badly or just ignores you or is it and my car's just started itself and that is really freaky? <laughs> oh, no, there's a ghost in the engine. Um... Oh, if I'd said ghost in the machine, that would have been better. Anyway, let's not edit it. Let's just, this is real life, guys. Um, <laughs> uh, and if you don't, if you, if you don't like them, I think just leave the bogey. I think that's best. If you do like them and you can take them somewhere quiet, I would just be honest and say, mate, you've got a bogey hanging, get rid of it. If you're with other people and you want to tell them, I think you have to kind of sneakily pick your own nose and then nudge them and go like, hey, this is a good thing we should all be doing before meeting a client, right, guys? Um, I have a similar story. I was with a friend, a very good friend, and we went to see a play and a pie and a pint in Glasgow. Uh, the pie was meat pie, very nice, a lot of gravy. Uh, the, I think the pints we had were kind of juice because it was daytime and we're square, uh, and the play was very good. Um, my friend um, put too much gravy on her plate, so sucked some of it up 
inadvertently getting a little dab, quite a big dab actually, of gravy on her nose. I left it there because I thought it was hilarious. And we saw the play. I totally forgot all about it because the play was great and it was in the dark. And then when we came out, we bumped into somebody that she was trying to impress. <laughs> and I didn't tell her that she had gravy on her nose. And even now, she still reminds me of this. And I still think it's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> um, I hope that helps, Hotty Holly. Uh, have a great week, everybody. Thank you. Bye. If you'd like me to answer one of your questions, then tweet us at Standard Issue UK using the hashtag SMQT. Thank you. Standard Issue for all women. You play ball like a girl. Go on, do one, kid. Jenny off the blocks. Welcome to Jenny Off The Blocks, that time of the week where we scarp a cross-country style across an equal distance to men, because our pretty little legs can hack it, because, you know, we're rad, as we mull over the latest developments in women's sport. Does that make sense? Google it, kids. Google it. Joe Pavey. Just, just Google it. Last week, Chief Executive of the Football Association, Martin Glenn, was at it again, and by it, I mean being a dick. Speaking at a press conference to reveal the FA's plans for not fucking everything up in 2018, Glenn said England's governing body for football would seek to enhance the culture around the women's senior team. And if all they want to do is enhance it, they won't have far to go, assuming they don't appoint a new manager currently under investigation around safeguarding concerns or indeed anyone who makes racist remarks to team members. Or, you know, try to pay off team members when they take umbrage with any of the above. Reflecting on learnings from the last year, the chief executive of an organisation lambasted for pretty much all of the isms over the last year said, I think culturally what women will be prepared to put up with has been a bit different from guys. I guess banter would be a case in point. Yeah, I mean, especially when we're on the blob, eh, Martin? Martin, what's wrong with you? Speaking about how that might be achieved, Glenn later told the BBC... The standard procedures that work for men might not work in the women's game. We have to organise for differences. You couldn't make this shit up. Or, Martin, or you could just not appoint people who make racist comments to players, male or female. And, moving on, as the Australian Open got underway this week, sporting giants Martina Navratilova and Billie Jean King were responding to comments made by current Grand Slam title record holder... We're talking pre-open era, so, you know, Serena's still queen, really, in terms of achievement. But anyway, Margaret Court. Court, who has a um, court named after her at Melbourne Park, where the tournament takes place, is a swivel-eyed loon and Pentecostal minister. In that vein, she's been quite vocal on her views about uh, same-sex marriage and the LGBTQI community in recent years, including allegedly telling Vision Christian Radio that transgender tendencies in children were all the devil. That sounds plausible to me. Um, Right. Tennis legend Billie Jean King, herself a gay woman, spoke out about the comments last week, saying that the arena should no longer bear Court's name, and even went as far as to say that she would have refused to play there if asked. Now, Ratilova added in an interview with the New York Times, keep her in the Hall of Fame, but you do not name a building after her. Now, Court's husband, Barry, yep, that's right, Barry Court, has spoken out, refuting the comments attributed to his wife, stating that no such comments about transgender children have been made and that King ought to check her facts before making allegations. Anyway, moving on from the controversy surrounding it, of course we're now in the Australian Open and it will be really interesting to see what happens now that Serena Williams is out of the running. She's withdrawn from the competition earlier this month after deciding it was too soon to come back after childbirth um, four months ago. So, yeah, maybe. 
But that does leave the door open to any number of women, including Great Britain's Gianna Conta, assuming she's made a decent enough recovery from a hip injury that saw her retire from the Brisbane International earlier this month. Of course, all this may have changed by the time you hear this on Wednesday, as she faces Madison Brengel on Tuesday, which is tomorrow in the world I currently exist in. I'm not capable of time travel yet, guys, and I, I don't see that happening anytime soon. But more news on the Australian Open next week. That's it for me from this week. If you haven't already done so, I'm going to suggest you have a listen to last week's Sunday Chops, where you'll hear me, Mickey, Kate Dale from This Girl Can, and my spin instructor, Wendy, shooting the shit about getting active, hopefully inspiring you to do so in the process. If you want to tell me about any sporty shiz, give me a shout on Twitter at InspiraGen. <laughs> Welcome to Dunleavy Does Disney. Dunleavy, what Disney have you done this week? This week I watched 1995's Toy Story, which is the result of a Disney-Pixar union, so seemingly fractious that I actually got bored reading about it. Um, I think the only salient point is that one team really pushed for this film to have more appeal to adults. And the big surprise there is that that was actually Disney. Oh. Oh. Yeah. I really thought yeah. there was, yeah, was a yeah. sarcastic well, I was quip a coming. joke there. Yeah. yeah, was Disney wanted it to appeal to adults. Obviously, I've seen this several times before, and also Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 3, or as my brother calls it, <laughs> the third one. <laughs> Just to clarify, right off the bat, I'm not going to be doing a Dunleavy Does Disney on those films. If I start getting caught up in sequels for all Disney films, I will be insane by the time I finish this, or 60. I will, however, always continue to tweet the picture of them all holding hands as they slip into the incinerator every time somebody mentions Brexit, <laughs> if that reassures anyone. Now I assume... there was, Sorry, there was a little reference to that scene in one of the episodes of Black Mirror. I think it's the Callister one where they're all aboard a starship and as they, towards the end, there's an absolute reference to Toy Story 3, all holding hands. I assume you two have seen Toy Story before because everybody has, but have either of you rewatched it for the purposes of this? No, I have not rewatched it for the purposes of this. Oh, she hasn't um, done her homework again. It's, I never do my homework. Too busy. She has come dressed as a cartoon character, though, so that's I good. I've come dressed as Where's Wally today completely by accident. But obviously, <laughs> to look that you're working. Yeah, why not? I've got the glasses as well. It's all going on, but. She's there as well. Yeah, I know, <laughs> the right? easiest game of Where's Wally I've <laughs> Shit. She keeps shouting, I'm here. I'm try, here. Try harder next time. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it like 80,000 times yeah. probably. I have seen it loads and loads. And I thought I owned it on DVD, but I actually owned Toy Story 3 on DVD. But I did watch it again because Toy Story. Yeah. Did you like it? Right. I've got to get something said straight away. And that is that this film does not have enough women in it. And by enough, I mean virtually any women in it. Um, And I can't sit here in good conscience and talk uncritically about something that categorically fails the Bechdel test. I've talked about the test before, and obviously it's flawed because some of the best films ever made fail by dint of historical accuracy. A Thin Red Line is an example I always use. Also, Assassination of Jesse James, or virtually any other war film or Western. But Toy Story has no excuses. It could have female characters in it. And since the point of rewatching all these Disney films with a less than sentimental eye is to point out their flaws, so there you have it. That is the flaw in Toy Story. Surprising, given that Joss Whedon is one of the screenplay writers. Yes, very surprising. He was in for rewrite, so I don't know to what degree you can rewrite 
as in introduce new characters at that stage. Just make the pig's voice slightly more high-pitched and give it to a woman. Yeah, maybe. Rewrite a Buffy the Vampire Slayer doll. Possibly. I mean, they do improve it. There are more female characters in later Toy Stories. That's worth saying, so they, they do that. But but I have to say that that issue aside, Toy Story is pretty much flawless. I watched it when I was unwell, lying on my sofa. And there is always something for me about things that I watch when I'm sick that stems right back to the time I watched The Philadelphia Story when I was off school poorly, which probably meant that, bearing in mind, my mum had given me a day off school, I probably should have been in a hospital. But, um <laughs> Uh, it's just lovely. Toy Story is just lovely. It's based on an ingeniously simple premise. What would happen if toys came to life when you weren't looking? And despite all the great leaps forward that it took in terms of animation, in terms of recognising that parents were also watching this, it's actually an incredibly old-fashioned film. I mean, I know this was set in the golden years before the internet and before domestic technology went nuts, but really the idea that a kid plays with the same toys since kindergarten is actually a lot more 1955 than it is 1995. Yeah, absolutely. The plot of Toy Story 4, by the way, is going to be the, the toys just in a box while all the kids play on their iPads. <laughs> <laughs> and, and actually the comedy in it, which was always, it, I've always sort of believed was quite adult, is actually not adult at all. I saw Guardians of the Galaxy with my nephew. Have you seen that? I have seen that. No. It's actually got hidden cum jokes in it. Ooh. Hidden cum, like what? <laughs> like where's Wally for? Jizz? It's got cum jokes. I'm here. That children wouldn't spot. Splash. That's not the sort of adult humour that's in Toy Story. I think why we think it's adults, or why we think it's adult humour, is that it creates this universe in which toys use things in the place of things that we use. For example, Woody uses the Fisher Price toddler microphone thing as a PA, and and that's exactly the same sort of humour that a lot of cartoons used when this generation of parents that was taking their kids to see this in 95 were growing up with, like, for example, the Flintstones. It also uses the fish-out-of-water comedy trope to absolute perfection. Buzz Lightyear goes on believing he is a real space ranger for almost the entire film, and the joke never gets old. When Woody presses the button and the helmet goes back and he thinks that he's just, like, going to stop breathing and he's suffocating in air that isn't breathable, yeah. it is amazing. Yeah. In fact, the whole film is really funny. There's two bits in it that genuinely made me lol. When they're listening on the walkie-talkie about Andy's birthday presents being unwrapped and they find out one of the presents is bed sheets, and Mr Potato Head says, Who invited that kid? <laughs> <laughs> and then when Buzz first meets Sid who is describing himself as the Doctor, and more on him later. And uh, Buzz says, I don't believe that man has ever been to medical school. Um, <laughs> that made me, yeah, pee my pants. Uh, it's also got some pretty arresting visuals. Uh, two things that I want to mention, one of which is lovely, the other of which is totally horrifying. Firstly, the fall that Buzz takes when he attempts to fly out of the window at Sid's house, which you see from above as he falls in slow motion, is completely gorgeous. It's just a lovely shot. And second, that fucking one-eyed baby head on <laughs> Meccano's spider legs is the stuff of absolute nightmares. <laughs> it's, it's like Hellraiser. It is genuinely terrifying, yeah. the things that are under that bed in that house. 
And I think kids should be scared. <laughs> of toys. <laughs> um, I like that all the toys are ones that I think the parents would recognise from their childhood. I had an Etch-a-Sketch. I had a, a baby's head on some Meccano spider's legs. And I think we all did. <laughs> <laughs> My mum has got a porcelain doll that she's oh. had. Yeah, well, exactly, right? Exactly. <laughs> if that so wasn't freaky. scary enough, she is gammy as fuck and absolutely terrifying. And my mum gets very offended when I'm like, mum, it's well scary. I don't like dolls. You can get ones that look like actual newborns now. Oh. Haven't you always been able to? Aren't they the ones that... Like, Tiny got, like, Tears was like almost toddler oh, size. No, you, you get ones that people actually have as like, pretend babies. Um, so yeah, I loved it. But just in case you were thinking that I finally got round to installing my personality update since last week, I do have one question that actually really bothered me. What is that question? You know Ham... The money box. A pig. Piggy bank. Shaped like a pig. Mm. How come he comes alive? Yeah. He's not a toy. He's got a face. Because, like, pencils don't come alive and stuff. They don't. But um, anything with a face comes alive. Like Mrs Nesbitt's tea cups and things, they don't they come don't alive. They don't come alive. So it's obviously not the process of it being played with that makes it come alive. It's the face. It, is it the face, I think, think it's the face. Is oh, there, okay. Is there... A, there's a troll in one of them, isn't there? Yeah. Is it a troll on a pencil or just a normal troll? No, it's I think a, troll, just a troll. And he, he does come alive. He, well, I'm sure he's alive because Buzz does his hair. But it did send me on a strange thought about what would come alive and what wouldn't come alive They've and got what was eyes. specified as a toy, which led, but seriously, don't think about it too much because it led to me answering a text about what I was up to <laughs> with the words I'm thinking about whether sex toys also have inner lives of their own in the Toy Story universe. <laughs> when I lived in my first student house, one of the girls I shared with, there were two girls, two boys, and we bought a vibrator from one of the machines in the toilets. It was called a racing snake. And we had this sort of chalkboard on the wall with a little shelf and we drew a face on the vibrator and when you turned it on, it used to spin round like it was in The Exorcist. But she used it and the would face came Would that come off. alive in Toy Story oh, World? I think it would. Because I think they'd be quite lonely, sex toys, because they're quite solitary animals, aren't they? Well, well not, apparently, according to all the lesbians that were on our panel no, in yeah, Edinburgh, they have a whole tool belt of them. Yeah. Maybe it's just as hetero birds who don't have enough. What, was, what did you say she'd drawn the face on with? A permanent marker. I don't know where to go with that. I'm not going to dwell on it. On, on that bombshell. Yeah. <laughs> Toy Story uh, for adults as well as children. There's probably a porn film sex called toy Sex story. Toy Story, isn't there? Mm. Look it up. Don't really. No, I don't want to. Um, yeah. Oh, sexy Jurassic Park. Anyway, what score are we giving it? I am going to give it... Oh, you fuckers. If you'd only put a few women in it... I could have given it a five, but I can't. So I am going to give it four and a half. Four and a half what? Four and a half. No matter how funny Mrs. Nesbitt is, she doesn't count as a female character out of five. Mrs. Nesbitt is very funny. Is there, there's a Mrs. Potato Head, isn't there? Mm, second it's, one. The second one. Really? Yeah. She gets an intro at the end with the Christmas presents, but she's not in it. So Bo there Peep. are none. Bo then. Peep and oh, the mum. There's Bo yeah. Peep, the, the mum, there's and the, the baby, yeah. and then a, the a, Sid's sister. got a little sister. Yeah. And the doll is like Janie, but she's not. And Bo just yeah. wants her man, and as soon as Buzz is on the scene, she Yeah, other question about Bo, right? Bo wears lipstick. How is that a thing? You question reality again, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Questioning realism in cartoons. I'm thinking about it too much, aren't I? Barbies yeah. usually have lipstick, don't they? Barbies are wrong on so many levels. Yeah, but I mean, like, they do usually have lipstick on their faces permanently. Shepherdess, does, would they wear lipstick? They I get up very would, early. I, I would be pushed to put lippy on at that time in the morning. Just yeah, to be seen by sheep. Yeah, like, 
Bo Peep, she's sort of, you know, she's not your average shepherdess, is she? If we're talking about realism with Bo Peep, she is actually with her sheep, and we all know that she fucking lost them. Yeah, <laughs> good point. <laughs> good point. That's our show for this week. Thanks very much for listening. If you enjoyed our interview with the brilliant Dr. Suze Kundu, there will be more of that interview available as our Sunday chops. And don't forget to listen next week when we have, oh, we've got some brilliant guests. We've got Karina Johnson to talk about female parts, the all-female theatre festival at Hoxton Hall in London. Mickey's been talking to the excellent Bryony Kimmings about the pacifist guide to the war on cancer. And, and we're also talking to the author Alison Vale about her book, A Woman Lived Here, in which she puts forward some suggestions for women who really should have some blue plaques. Don't forget that we've got a show coming up on Friday, which is at the Junction in Cambridge. We've got some great guests. We recently added Jack Monroe to the bill, and she joins Liz Carr and Holly McNish. Tickets are £15, which you can get from Sarah's website, which is www.sarahmillican.co.uk forward slash standard hyphen issue. So if you live in Cambridge or somewhere near Cambridge, Huntingdon, Newmarket, Ely, all of those places. I'm going to stop listing them because otherwise I'll just sound like Alan Partridge. But there might still be tickets, so do have a look if you're looking for something to do on Friday. I think that's all for me this week. So uh, just left to say, stay frosty. Standard Issue for all women.